last week we talked about the boldness that they prayed for and apparently received because listen to what Stephen says to the religious authorities in Jerusalem who are rejecting the message of Jesus. Acts 7, 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Yeah, that's bold. <laughs> that's pretty bold. Then Acts chapter 8 now. So flip ahead a page or so to page, uh, actually just on that same spread, again on page 1088, uh, Acts 8 verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the, re the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen, because they killed him, and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Notice that persecution always starts from within. It starts from within. You will see persecution of Christians when other Christians become uncomfortable with their boldness and their truth-telling. And then finally, Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 14 this is on the next page. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, he being the Holy Spirit. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, this is not Simon Peter, this is another Simon, a magician in town. Uh, not the entertainment type. <laughs> the kind who use sleight of hand and trickery in order to convince you that they have magical powers. So it's true and not true of them that they were magicians. Now when Simon the magician saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in, uh, a gall, in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. 
And these are excerpts from the word of the Lord in Holy Scripture. For his name's sake, we pray it sinks in. Amen. So, I chose these excerpts because we talked last week about the boldness that they sought. And now we then have to deal with the cost. If you're going to boldly proclaim the gospel and you're going to boldly, and it takes a lot more courage, frankly, to invite the Holy Spirit to take the lead in your life and to infuse your life and cause you to be slain in the spirit, as some like to say, meaning that you've died to self and you've welcomed the Holy Spirit to be the new life force within you. Well, if you're bold enough to ask for that, then you've got to be willing to uh, accept the cost of that. And that's what we're going to talk about for a little while. Now, I mentioned, I, I chose three passages. First of all, the boldness that Stephen showed by saying what needed to be said. Well, I'll tell you what, I've been thinking about this kind of stuff a lot lately. And, and uh, without going off on a tangent, I'll just tell you that one of the hardest things I've had to do as a pastor is tell people things that they don't want to hear, knowing that their reply will be, well, that's not very Christian. <laughs> I'm sorry, but there's time for truth in church, and there's a time to hear things that won't feel good. And there will be a time, I'm sure, when you will question your Christian friend or even your pastor for having the gall or the bold audacity to tell you what you don't want to hear about Christian living. And this is what leads to persecution quite often. So Stephen is showing you that there's a cost to discipleship, and sometimes it costs your life. Then there is this other form of discipleship that Simon the magician was seeking. He, he wanted all the benefits of the Holy Spirit-driven Christian community, but not the cost. In fact, it was easier for him to pay for it. Now, here's a truth that will hurt, but this is something that I've seen in church for almost 30 years now as a pastor. And that is, is that there are always people who are willing to pay for things, but not nearly as many who are willing to help do them. I'm going to go by the silence with the idea that that stings a little bit, but it's true. Money is relatively easy to come by in church relatively. Hard work and help that costs you time and energy, that's a lot harder to get. So no wonder Peter said to Simon the magician, you can't buy what we have and you can't misuse it for your own sake. That's not how this works. If you want to be a part of what the Spirit is doing through us, then you have to accept the cost. And the cost will surely cause you suffering. And that's just the way it is. Jesus made that really clear when he preached during his earthly ministry years. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like the merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought this pearl. Or when Jesus said, greater love hath no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. That 
is Jesus talking about the true cost of discipleship. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his, uh, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Listen, I looked up the word hate in the Bible dictionary because I was hoping that it would give me a way out. <laughs> it didn't. He meant hate. He said hate and he meant hate. Like what you think hate means, no secret meaning in this Hebrew word, or I should say Greek word in this particular case. But rest assured, contextually, what Jesus wanted you to understand was that he wasn't advocating that you express hatred to your wife and your children and your parents or even yourself. God knows we have enough trouble with people doing hateful things to themselves and others. He's saying you have to love him more. He's saying you must love Jesus more. If you want to be his disciple, the cost is family, self. It means you got to be willing to do for him way above and beyond what you're willing to do for others. And I'd say most of us have got that precisely backwards. We're willing to do for our families all sorts of things and for ourselves all sorts of things, but not as much for our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to flip that paradigm. That's a hard saying, isn't it? A serious walk with Jesus Christ will cost you. There's a book called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you have probably heard it. He goes to great lengths to explain the true cost of discipleship. And this from a book he wrote in 1937. 1937, we're coming up on, won't be long, that's going to be a hundred-year-old book. Can you believe that? But The Cost of Discipleship was a book where he basically says to people, look, the preaching of forgiveness without repentance, baptism without discipline, and communion without confession corrupts the gospel. Or he put it another way, he called it cheap grace. Cheap grace. I don't think this is going to go over well, but I couldn't help myself on my way here this morning. I was trying to figure out in my mind what I could say about cheap grace that would help me understand what he meant by that. And the only thing I could think of was, we've been told for 50 years that we should eat low-fat diets and, and avoid carbohydrates and all kinds of other things, and yet we've got more diabetes and more overweight people than we've ever had before, and now it's becoming clear and it's becoming well-known through alternative sources that fat's actually good for you. <laughs> Our food actually caused us harm when we started cheapening it. Everyone say cheapening with me here, cheapening. Okay, so I'm not the only one that has trouble pronouncing that. But I just started thinking, like, like cheap grace is where you rob all of its nutritional value and, and turn it into something like white bread. 
Now, when I was a kid, I loved white bread. It's soft and mushy and it tastes great with peanut butter and jelly or cheese and mayonnaise, but it has very little nutritional value, but it does have a high degree of starch content, which is guaranteed to cause your body problems. Now, this is not a nutrition talk. But I'm interested in those things, and so I read about those things. And it occurred to me then, when I was talking to myself about Bonhoeffer's concept of cheap grace, that that's what he was getting at. What the real journey of a Christian disciple looks like is anything but white bread or watered down milk. <laughs> My bride grew up on a dairy farm and for the first 10 years we were married, we drank raw milk out of a pickle jar, a giant pickle jar. And man, you talk about creamy and rich milk. And then one day, that 2% stuff tasted like water. You know what I'm talking about. Cheap grace. Watered down milk. You take your pick. You think of analogies that work for you. Eating egg whites without the egg yolk. Cheap grace. Are you with me, Scott? We're talking bacon here. <laughs> That's right. But here's the thing that I want you to take away from that. The cost of discipleship is that you have this richness through the Holy Spirit, but it does have a consequence. I can tell you that eating all that good, healthy food that we were told for years isn't healthy isn't so bad in and of itself, but I also know from personal experience that too much of it will still make you fat, you know. So discipline is the heart word of discipleship, and it is something that we associate with the infusion of the richness of the Holy Spirit, but also with the cost of living within the Spirit, it cost Bonhoeffer everything, as many of you may be aware. He lived it to the point that he rejected and opposed Adolf Hitler's hate and false religion, and it cost him his life. But that's what happens when you're a bold disciple of Jesus Christ. You will pay the price. Here's the good news. The vast majority of us probably won't have to pay more than discomfort. We may have to change our plans. We may have to decide that our priorities are out of whack and it's more important to serve the Lord than our tastes and our comfort and our pleasure and our self-medication or our trivial obligations to social matters and things like that. It may not cost you that much, but it could make you really uncomfortable. But you know, when the thing that used to make you uncomfortable becomes normal, then the thing that used to make you feel comfortable becomes uncomfortable. You just have to take my word for it on that. We've all changed our priorities and then gotten used to the new priorities, and we can do it again. The trick is living under the authority of the Holy Spirit 
The trick is not a trick at all, as Simon the magician found out. It is new birth in Christ. It's to have died to yourself and invited the Holy Spirit to replace your sense of self with a permanent, even eternal nature that is a mirror of that of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be one in being with the Father just as he is one in being with the Father. And it sounds pretty fantastical, but you know you can do it. First, you begin by self-surrender. C.S. Lewis refers to the uh, Holy Spirit as the fuel that makes the car run. Well, if you want to be born again and live in the Holy Spirit, first thing you got to do is drain the fuel tank of the old fuel and replace it with the new fuel. I dare say some of you men especially, I know women could do all of these things too, but some of you men like me have found that you've been putting old watered down gas in your lawnmower or some other piece of power equipment and you can't figure out why it sputters and runs rough. And then you finally realize you gotta drain that out and put in good fresh fuel. And then you gotta run it a little bit and pretty soon it's fine again. This is what he means. To be born again is to drain the old gas out and replace it with something entirely new. And it's high octane, let me tell you. And it'll drive you to places, words, and deeds that you never knew you were capable of. This transformative power of the Holy Spirit is at the very heart of our Wesleyan tradition. Our Wesleyan tradition is built solidly on two basic elements, grace and the Holy Spirit. John Wesley believed that we had to embrace the rich grace of God so that we could repent and be born again and new birth had to include the Holy Spirit in order for true sanctification, which is that maturity in the faith and transformation of your inner nature to happen. And so the reason I preach the Holy Spirit as much as I do is because not only does he need to reign over our individual hearts, but he needs to reign over this entire organization we call the family of faith at Shiloh Church. And so we need to welcome and receive the Holy Spirit to our corporate identity in order that the same profoundly impactful things can happen as we go along the way with this community, the way being the way of Jesus Christ. I dare you to join me in praying that the Holy Spirit will reign here at Child Church. And then, like me, to fearfully and joyfully look forward to whatever that yields. And I say fearfully because I'm not entirely sure what that's going to look like, but it's okay. Some of the reasons that people during the Exodus wanted to go back to Egypt was because at least they knew what was there. And this whole idea of going into a promised land that they weren't familiar with was just too much for them. 
And sometimes we're, li we're, we're living our lives the same way. We're trying to avoid entering into the promise of God entirely because we're afraid of the unknown. I think that's where we get that word faith is when we embrace the unknown courageously because we're so sure that the one who's inviting us is good. Now, finally, in this conversation about the cost of discipleship, I have to deal with the hardcore reality of the here and the now. You're going to hear that we're doing things here as a family of faith that we believe the Holy Spirit inspired us to do, like providing backpacks for 600 children like providing supplies for them, like creating an energy in this community for the young that has so inspired others that have heard about it that now our drive to provide backpacks is going to include free haircuts, pediatrician examinations, and uh, dental and visual help, and, and there's just this long list of little odds and ends that keeps popping up, and people are calling us and saying, can we come? and join you in blessing the community. And you know, they're not all church people. They're just people who see the body of Christ desiring to serve Christ by serving neighbors in need, and they want to be a part of it. And we hope you want to be a part of it. And we hope that you want to be a part of more and more things like that, because these are the signs that the Holy Spirit has taken over this corporate identity where we once, whether consciously or unconsciously, were dedicated to our own enjoyment and entertainment and reassurance or whatever else it is you get out of church when you try to avoid the Holy Spirit part. <laughs> now we want the Holy Spirit to steer our corporate life. We want the Holy Spirit to in, infuse our imaginations with new and amazing ideas that serve. But they cost something. It costs you because you have to change your priorities. You have to change your priorities the same way you will change your budget. You know, I hit my 60s last year and now I'm thinking about retirement. I'm not planning to retire, but... I'm thinking about retirement because it feels like I should. And you know what that's done? It's changed the way I save my money. Now all of a sudden my budget's getting rearranged because something has taken precedence in my life that hadn't been a high priority once before. And if you think about it, your spiritual, emotional, and, and just general life priorities are profoundly affected by how you budget your resources. To put it another way, if you knew that by changing your priorities, you could enrich your children's lives in far better ways than sports and academics and entertainment and all of that can, would you change your priorities? If you knew that you could change your grandchildren's lives by rearranging your budget of time and energy so that you could give them an enriched life, 
Would you do it? I guarantee you most of us would say, well, if you're talking about finances, yeah, I'm going to put money back for my children's inheritance. I, I'm going to make sure that they can go to college. I'm going to do this and that. What can college do for them that's better than what a spirit-filled body of Christ can do for them? What can sports do for them that's better than what a spirit-filled body of Christ can do for them? This is hard because we're talking about counting the cost of discipleship. And ask the people who didn't make spiritual matters a high priority. If they could do it over again, would they do it differently? Go ahead, ask them. You know them. The reason our church is aging out is because there's not enough young people here. Why? We have to ask the hard questions. We have to start by embracing the Holy Spirit, and then we have to obey the Spirit so that our Lord can be proclaimed boldly by Spirit-filled believers. And I promise you, that is infectious. Just like when people found out that the spirit-filled believers in Shiloh wanted to do good for a large number of children in this community, and they said, I'd like to be a part of that. What else could we do in the spirit that people might want to be a part of? You think about that, and you think about how you budget your time and your energy and your resources, and ask yourself if you are willing to hate the things you put above Christ so that you can put Christ above those things. Let us pray. Lord, you've spoken truth and love to us and it hurts. It's the cost of discipleship and it stings. But we love you and we know you're right about these things. We know as parents and grandparents especially, we know what it's like to sit down and have a hard talk with our beloved children so that they might move in a better direction for their own sake. And so we thank you for talking to us so plainly. Now bless the remainder of our worship, we pray, for your namesake. Amen. Amen.